Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Anik on Chelsea podcast. How are you guys all doing? Today I've got a great guest on. It's the Chelsea FC sensei himself, Mr. Joe Tweedy. Big thank you to Joe for coming onto the podcast. We had an awesome conversation. It's really interesting, as you'd expect from the great man. Anyway, straight into it, guys. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the podcast, someone who I enjoy listening to always, has a great insight on Chelsea and um, just has a lot of knowledge. So it's uh, I'm here with Joe Tweedy. Good evening, Joe. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, really well, mate. Thanks for having me on. Very pleased to have you on, mate. I'm always uh, always get excited to see when you're on podcasts and things because I enjoy listening to you. So I'm very pleased uh, and humbled for you to join me on my podcast. No problem at all. I've, I've uh, yeah, I think I've, I'm a recent listener to you, but um, yeah, I think definitely adding something to the the podcast space, something I listen to weekly now. So yeah, keep up the uh, good work. That's kind, mate. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I've, managed, I've got recommended to get you on. I managed to wrangle Chidge on as well, so uh, I consider you <laughs> I consider you another sort of high-profile guest in terms of uh, the Chelsea community. Anyway, um, yeah, sorry, mate. I want to so I want to do this in two parts. Part one, I want to do a review of the first um, leg in the Tottenham tie and preview the second. And in part two, we're going to review the Newcastle result and look ahead to Arsenal, which is a bit of a different format for me, but I think that might work for this podcast. Um, Okay, so there's a lot to get into. Um, I do actually want to get your thoughts on where Chelsea are also. Um, Maybe we'll do do that sort of as we go. Because I know you've got a lot of good thoughts and and ideas of how the club should be run and and maybe where we're going. But... um, Let's start with Tottenham. To get your thoughts initially, how did you think that first leg went? Were you pleased with the performance or a bit frustrated with how it ended up? I think personally it was, I suppose, a bit of a mixed bag for me because probably the first time in a very long time that I felt we, we controlled possession, we kind of controlled the game in, in a lot of aspects. And if you kind of remember back to, to Conte's, uh, the, the game that we lost to Tottenham, the first the first home game that we lost in you know, mm-hmm. 20 years, that game to me felt like a bit of a, a real kind of power shift between us and Tottenham. They they kind of dominated us physically, which is something we haven't seen before. And they, they completely outplayed us on that day. So I was had a little bit of kind of a trepidation this season. Obviously, we've, we've not had uh, particularly good results against them, um, mm-hmm. or at least good performances as well. So... I think from from one one perspective, the the fact that we were largely, I would say, in control for most of the game. I mean, I think we've we've sort of seen the goal now, and you know, the sort of the VAR technology debate is probably one for another day. But yeah. you know, I don't think necessarily that that uh, obviously, if we if we look at sort of the goal and, and maybe discount that, that I think we we're pro- probably the better side. Mm. Um, and then I think that's that's kind of when the frustrations creep in because I think for. For looking at sort of the, the kind of result, uh, maybe taking a, a bit out of the context of an individual game, it felt a little bit like Tottenham were going through the motions. They scored a goal, and then they didn't really kind of feel that threatened by by Chelsea teams. And it's a little bit like how I used to kind of, I suppose, see Arsenal in maybe the past ten years when Chelsea have played them. Often they've had a lot of possession. They've they've kind of created. They've you know they've had kind of their moments, and they, they felt kind of in topping games, but. We would often just nick a goal with Costa or Dropper, and then I would be quite confident the game was done. And mm-hmm. a little bit of me is, is slightly concerned that maybe um, Tottenham feel that they, they kind of have that sort of sign over Chelsea at the moment where they don't really have to kind of play at full capacity and they can still kind of pinch results. So, a bit of a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, performance-wise, as I said, I think it was it was largely pretty decent considering, you know, I don't think we played particularly well against them recently, but I do have this kind of nagging doubt in the back of my head that that Tottenham didn't need to be at their best to still win the game. And we can debate the goal. I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's still a goal in, in terms of the history book, so that's kind of all that matters. But yeah. just that, that's my concern is that they didn't really have to put that much effort in um, to, to score. And I don't think we really um, caused them too many, too many problems in terms of uh, real kind of concrete moments. So that's interesting. You've definitely put a few interesting points up there. There's far too many parallels uh, being drawn at the moment with us and this sort of uh, Arsenal narrative of how certainly how they were under Wenger in the later days. And I'm I'm sort of inclined to agree with you with that. And also another sort of worrying thing that you brought up there that maybe um, Tottenham's inferiority complex isn't as prevalent as perhaps it yes. was which, Indeed, is, yeah. which is worrying um, again you went for a lot of stuff there it's very um, a great point about how Chelsea of old certainly even if we were being outplayed on the ball we certainly wouldn't get muscled off the ball um, and that is a bit worrying I know that sort of comes with the territory and this new sort of footballing venture at Chelsea that maybe you know it's not a priority anymore to sort of have these big sort of titans of you know won't turn over for the opponent all in the aid of getting these sort of technical players that can hopefully just outplay the opponent but I see what you mean about the Spurs game one thing that maybe I would dispute a little bit is I feel like they might have been worried at the end, you know. Um, a little bit like, certainly if you look on, I know this is no reflection upon the club or team as a whole, but the fans were were bloody hating that towards the end. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like what they were doing in, in a sort of opposite sense, what they were doing to David De Gea, but we certainly were putting putting them under a lot of pressure and I'm not sure Poch would have been happy to see out the game like that, I would, you know, the result would have been great for him, but, but perhaps, you, it's so easy as a Chelsea fan to say we were the better team generally, but I think maybe that's they weren't maybe happy to sit back. I'm, I'm not entirely sure with that, but um, yeah, it, it is a difficult one. I do. Um, I want. While I've got you on the show, I do want to talk to you about players and play style and stuff. But I want to sort of get a couple of bits out of the way before we sort of get into it. Um, for the second leg, it looks like they'll certainly be missing Harry Kane, um, and I think Son. I don't. I don't understand the fixture list with him in the Asian Cup, but what and um, what the odds are of him going all the way, and if he does go all the way, how many games he misses. But it does look like potentially they'll be missing them, those two players, and possibly Sissoko as well. When he came off in that game, they did look. Um, uh, sorry, when they came up, when he came off against uh, United, they looked more frail. How do you think that game might go uh, in the second leg at Stamford Bridge? I think Pochettino maybe historically, and this is you know talking to, to quite a lot of different Tottenham fans. He, when he senses that maybe there's a sort of weakness in the side, particularly in the cup competitions, I think potentially his his eyes will wander back to to the Premier League, back to potentially European competition. And I don't necessarily feel that, that he's going to, I'm not saying he's going to try and you know, deliberately throw the game, but I think in terms of his setup of the team or the maker of that team, maybe now that, that particularly I would say with, with Kane being injured and some potentially not being there, I think that you could see uh, a kind of a drastic sort of maybe shift from Pochettino where he's not, I'm not saying necessarily he's going to play for the draw, but 
pregnant to them. I think, yeah, I, I would say if I was a, if I was a Chelsea player, that I would definitely be sort of smelling blood coming up to this game. Mm. You know mm. what what Kane offers them, and and yeah, this really is kind of a parallel to Chelsea as well, is that he. He has this kind of unique ability of, of just sort of converting a, a pretty average performance into you know one or two goals and, and, and a Tottenham win. He's he's got this ability. Aguero has it. There's a few other players in, in, in the league that have that kind of have it as well. Mm-hmm. But he just you know just almost guaranteed goals. He's guaranteed to to, do, to sort of do something that, that's going to influence the game. And you know you remove him from the team, and particularly Son, who I feel is, is pretty underrated outside of Tottenham. Um, you know, it's really kind of containing Deli Ali. I mean, I, I'm not even sure he would play up front for them. Maybe, um, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of dismiss the, uh, the the Dutch the Dutch fellow Janssen. Janssen, Janssen, yeah. Yeah, he's, he kind of just dismissed him, and you know, then you've kind of got the uh, I can never remember the Spanish guy's name that we tried to sign. Llorente um, yeah, or Llorente? Yeah, Llorente. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, potentially him starting. I think then you know you've got a, a huge uh, change in the dynamic of Tottenham because because Kane really is. He's the spearhead. He's kind of the fulcrum of the team. And it was a bit like when we had Diego Costa. Mm-hmm. You take him out of the team, it's sort of a different prospect to playing us. So, you know, with, with Sun gone, with, with, with Kane gone, it's really kind of Deli Alley, maybe plus one. Mm-hmm. And if it is Rente, you know, I, I would hope that our, our centre-backs can, can kind of deal with sort of the, the transition. So I'm, I'm quietly confident. I, I think um, I think Sorry will take it seriously. I think that there's there's definitely an opportunity, obviously, with the with the second leg being played at Chelsea. It is just a goal, um, and given how we say we kind of largely dominated the, the the game, particularly the ball, and I think it was a measurement of control that we haven't had for a long time. Mm-hmm. If we can move that forward, and let's say, um, you know, I mean, just just converts maybe some of these opportunities, maybe you know Pedro or Hazard or whoever um, can, can can convert on some of the chances that we are making. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, for me, it's it's an easy route to to, to the final because you know I, I don't think that this is going to be a. It's definitely going to be the, the Tottenham sort of first team, and whether their motivation, whether their eyes are elsewhere, I think that that's uh, going to be quite a determining factor. Yeah, it's some good points there, and also further to further your point on Kane, I think he ha- actually has developed his game a lot. Um, this past sort of maybe 18 months of how he drops deep, you suddenly see yep. him doing lofting balls and doing excellent assists and holding up play deeper in the uh, in the pitch. So he's a huge loss for them. Um, yeah, Deli Ali as a false nine would be interesting. I think Moore is out, so that would be you know they've still got Lamella and potentially Moore to return. I think he'd be provided fit, uh, the most likely false nine. But um, yeah, you're right, Lorente just doesn't have the pace to do these like uh, devastating counters that Spurs are great at so I'd feel comfortable with him with him playing um, and hopefully we can marshal him but the, uh, an interesting one is Deli Alley playing as a false nine because uh, I've said this in a few podcast episodes how he always scores that sort of ritualistic immaculate uh, identical header against us doesn't he that sort of lofted yeah. header he did yeah. it twice in the game and yeah. once again so but um, yeah so there's a few things that uh, hopefully complacency doesn't come in and although with Sari I feel like the players do sort of maybe raise their game for the sort of higher profile games granted Tottenham seems to be a thorn in our side but um, I, I'd like I'd be inclined to agree with you in terms of Poch thinking oh you know bloody hell this is you know not the sort of uh, main priority and look who we'd be facing in the final anyway so let's just you know maybe 
be a bit more pragma pragmatic about this and yeah. not worry about it too much. But um, uh, Dan on um, uh, Dan Silvers on um, Twitter did did a great uh, no sorry excuse me on um, on the Chelsea fancast did a great uh, great quote which I tweeted about how um, he talked about Kane and Son's absence. So he actually thinks we've got a really good chance of losing to Man City in the final, <laughs> which could be um, which could be the situation. So um. Yeah, there's a few things that still in this part that I want to cover, so I, I don't want to dwell on the game for too long. So, um, we, how do you see? Uh, can, just to sort of, okay, can I ask you for a score prediction at Stamford Bridge? I think Chelsea will win uh, two 0 Two 0 cool. Because it, if it's two one, um, and that goes to, is it after extra time they win on away goals or something? Isn't there? An, I think it's something peculiar like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's something because that is worrying. We'll have to keep an eye out for that because if they do go ultimate pragmatist on a two-one loss, that would that would sting a little bit to go to go out like that. But um, yeah, like you, mate, I'm quietly confident, and I can't see uh, Daniel Levy doing any sort of dramatic purchase in the next week. And even if he did. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what affects that game. Um, but what could um, potentially happen for us is, I mean, the the lineup as you know, I've spoken of and I've heard you speak of. Sorry, being a sort of um, I don't want to use the word stubborn, but he likes continuity, doesn't he? So um, yeah, we'd imagine it was the Hazard false nine. Uh, I can't whether whether Hudson Odoi would start that game or come. I, I believe he'd make an appearance regardless, or I think he could even start against Arsenal, which we'll talk about a bit later. But there could be a chance we'd have a new striker through the door in Higuain. Um How do you feel about this um, generally? I mean, I, I've sort of voiced all sorts of opinions and the pros and cons and stuff. But can I get a sort of round up on how you feel about the potential? Um, Higuain transfer yeah I think I think a lot of how I I kind of picture this and how I maybe reflect on this will be probably very very closely related to what the sort of the dealings that's being done if it's you know uh, maybe the golden situation for me would be a six month loan until the end of the season hmm. um, an 18 month loan with some of the, the numbers that I've seen thrown about to me seems a little bit extortionate um, and also, again, obviously, there's this this kind of narrative that there'll be some sort of compulsory buy option, and being lumbered with um, you know 32 stroke 33 year old mm -hmm. who uh, you know after that sort of you know kind of wear and tear in the Premier League, I'm, I'm fairly certain he's not going to be at his absolute peak. So, mm -hmm. you know, having I think a lot of it is going to depend on on how that sort of situation pans out. In, in terms of the player, I mean, I think Chelsea probably feel that they've been backed into a corner here that they have to react. Um, you know. I think the the main thing would be that, that I would you know, be very sort of comfortable in saying that this is a sorry suggestion and all, all that sort of claims that he has about not being too particularly interested in the transfer market. Uh, you know, the same as any manager that's ever said them. You know, he's obviously very interested in the in the transfer market. So yeah. getting in Higuain obviously shows that the club are backing him to some extent. Um, you know, I've, I've seen him a couple of times this season. You know, and, and part of me thinks his his overall game is is definitely not what it was kind of in his peak maybe two three seasons ago. Mm. But if we, if we just need someone to pretty much not goal hand, but I mean sort of you know just just be a focal point and finish things in the area because you know you can you can look at the statistics or not, but you know we are creating I think we're second most chances in the league this yeah, season. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the conversion rate is just absolutely dreadful. So you know if we're talking about a guy who you know. 
tell him not to run that much and basically just, you know, when Hazard or someone cuts the ball back, just stick it in the goal every now and then. You know, I think it's going to be a drastic improvement on what, on what we've seen and what we've had this season. So, you know, even if he scores 10 goals for the rest of the season, I think that's 10 goals that maybe we might not have got elsewhere. Um, I agree. So, I'm trying to. I mean, I'm trying to frame it in a positive light. I think it's it's almost a foregone conclusion at this point that he will come. Mm. Um, but I think maybe my my overall perception of, of the quality of the deal will be very much, pretty much uh, correlate to sort of the terms of the of the, of the yeah. agreement to come to. Again, 18 months isn't too sad if he's the uh, senior striker, and then maybe in the summer we go and get someone. Mm. But my concern is with the club is that I felt that, that they did that with Giroud, and yet we're back to going for another kind of sticky plaster over what is becoming quite quite a sort of considerable uh, problem at the club. So I'm just hoping that it, this isn't some cycle of bringing in kind of you know guys, not towards the end of their careers, but obviously sort of in their 30s to sure. sort of bolster the attacking options. And then that becomes sort of a cycle of things that we see at Chelsea because we obviously we haven't replaced Diego Costa, um, even in, just in terms of sort of his goal output and stuff like that, and just his, his general presence in the side. Um, so Higuarin, yeah, if 18-month loan, I wouldn't be too mad at it, but I think it's possibly, maybe it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, a bold statement, but I think Sarri's, maybe his Chelsea future depends on how well Higuarin adapts um, to sort of Chelsea and, and how they're running, because if he, if we finish fifth, and I'm, I'm not suggesting we will, I think we've, we're doing well, so we're doing well enough to, to obviously be a top-four team at the moment, but I'm just, you know, if, if things carry on as they are with maybe struggling to score goals and, and things of that nature um, without Higuain for example um, I'm not sure how how the club would see um, sort of Sarri's tenure if he finished fifth didn't win the Europa League and we were outside of the Champions League again so yeah. um, you know it's almost like Sarri is, is putting all of his eggs in the Higuain basket and if the basket comes off fantastic and then I think he'll he'll get the uh, the benefits in the summer hopefully with a new striker um, but it's, uh, it's a bold move you know it's a, it's a bit of a gamble but hopefully I think it's one that will pay off it is it is a bold move and like again yeah yeah you said some great stuff there interestingly sorry obviously for me he keeps he keeps voicing this i'm not interested with the uh, transfer market because this is something that i've um, echoed before that he's he's what the club wants in terms of being a yes man they've seen the sort of detrimental effects of jose and conte and they're like look if you're going to come here you're going to sort of you know you're not going to speak up you're, you're the first team coach and just don't cause any problems in the media so that's why he's been saying that over and over but you know so, um, excuse me uh, Iguain is like his surrogate son isn't he he has such a strong yes. such a strong bond with him and if I'm going to give a sort of glass half full perspective to this um, let's say it's an 18 month loan that you might be expensive, but there's no obligation to buy, say, and then Juve flog him off to China or whatever, you know. And um, Sari's been looking at Higuain for like the last few years since his, you know, absolutely monstrously record-breaking season for him at Napoli. He'd probably be looking at him at Juventus, who he did pretty good at, and then at Milan. He would be, he's going to be watching these games, let's face it, and he's going to be going, no, of course it's not working because you're not doing X, Y, and Z. You know, I know how to get the best out of my boy, and these guys aren't doing it, you know? And like you say, like, uh, a lot of uh, journalists and people in Italy say he will score goals, um, even if uh, he hasn't got the mobility and stuff. If there's a guy in the box, in the six-yard box, that's not going to get inside his own head like Morata, and he's just going to be like, yeah, you know, I've done loads of stuff. I can bang goals here, fine. And he's not a worse, is he? He's not going to flop about, and he's not going to yeah. argue with the refs. And by all accounts, AC Milan at the moment aren't the best um, club to look at in terms of um, 
what's going right. Apparently, he's doing, he's overworking to try and get involved in the team. And I've heard today on some sort of media outlet or whatever that he he's lost faith with them a little bit because he went to Milan thinking they'd definitely buy him. And they've uh, they've actually he's heard them publicly voice that they may not. So his sort of yeah yeah. So you know your sort of commitment and stuff. So and he he did say talking about coming to Chelsea early doors but then so there's only the coach that wants me but if he's starting to think everyone wants him I, I think it could really work and uh, I mean let's face it the only there's only two really high profile top tier strikers in terms of age and ability are available it's Harry Kane and Mauro Icardi because you know they're both captains of their club or Lloris yeah. captain of, I don't know if Harry Kane's captain of Spurs I think he might be or is it Lloris anyway okay well you know he's captain of England you know what I mean they're both like mid mid 20s captains absolute goal scoring monsters and Harry Kane ain't coming to Chelsea and Icardi looks like it could be difficult or there might be certain elements of his of his character that Chelsea have analysed and don't want. And, and other than that, you've got a bunch of world-class, inverted commas, 30-plus-year-olds. Um, and other than that, there's a few, like, potential European gems that no one really knows about. Um, you know, Pyre Tech or whatever at Genoa, who's not really a massively known quantity. Um, even to a degree, I know he's at Barca, but Paco Alcacer and stuff, you know. So everything's a risk at this time. And I think, like you say... Sorry, putting the eggs in the Iguain basket. I mean, to a degree, it's almost nice that he's putting some eggs in a basket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, so, like you say, it's likely that will happen. Um, do you think, um, just just to sort of wrap up on maybe like transfers and stuff? Do you do you think there'll be any other outgoings? I know there was talk about Cahill. Obviously, Fabregas is gone, and maybe we'll get Paredes. But do you think likely exits for Cahill, Moses, etc.? Yeah, I, th- I think Cahill Moses and, and maybe Drinkwater. Um, I think they, they seem at least uh, you know, semi-likely to, to leave the club at the moment. There's obviously been talk from Sari himself how he intends to use Ampadu more and, and hudson Adoy more. And I think the, the use of Ampadu would, would both come obviously as a centre-back, but also probably in midfield. So mm-hmm. I think Cahill, I mean, he's, he's barely playing, isn't he? And I, I still think he's a player who who probably feels he has a lot to offer a club. So I can see him moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it will come down to kind of when we potentially bring other players in. Um, Paredes in particular, I think, probably will come as well. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think him and, and Higuain will probably be the additions that we see during the January window. And, and yeah, I, I would be surprised if uh, if after January, Drinkwater, Moses and Cahill were still, uh, were still Chelsea players. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'd, I always laugh when I look at Drinkwater. I've got absolutely nothing against the guy because, you know, he's won a Premier League. He signed for Chelsea. He lives in London. He's having a lovely time. He's probably on 100k a week. And I think, like, he's probably disappointed not to play, but, you know... I, I I can't like I haven't got anything against him, but he, if he's on like say 100k because he was like a Premier League winning midfielder, that I think by all accounts Conte actually wanted. He wanted yeah. he looked at the Leicester midfield when he arrived in England and he wanted it, and we gave him Kante first. Thank God. Um, but you know, is, is someone going to pay Drinkwater's wages, or you know, for a man who's not played for a while in? I don't know. It just seems like a difficult offload to me. I mean, it, it would Fulham. Do you reckon someone like Fulham would take him and pay pay him such wages? I think that the, the problem that Chelsea have in terms of squad composition is that they they vastly overpay for for players who, who certainly don't deserve kind of anywhere near that level of contract. And 
when you try to offload them, you know, I think Cahill's wages are going to be a problem. He's on what, 120, 125k a week. Mm. Moses is on sort of high 90s, I, I would imagine. Yeah. Stringwood is probably definitely on it, at least, I would say. He's probably he's probably on 100k flat. Yeah. But then when you go so often to other clubs who have got wage structures and maybe their top play players on 50, 60k a week, mm-hmm. how do you convince a player to, to, to reduce 40% of his income just because you, uh, you don't want them at the club anymore? So... You know, I, I also it kind of factors into some of the loan players as well. I, I know that Chelsea in the summer were actually trying to shift quite a lot of the loan army, but because of the the wages that some of these players are on, it's you know the, the kind of the level of club that they're most likely going to permanently move to. You know, it's three, four times their their kind of maximum wage for a player. So yeah. it's not problematic kind of when you go to the top end of the first team players, but also sort of the academy slash development slash loan army players as well. Um, you know, and I think. Uh, who was at Swiss Ramble recently posted a, a fantastic kind of series of tweets about Chelsea's finances and you know we still have this incredibly huge wage bill at the club um, and you sort of look at the quality and just on paper the quality in the first team and you, you scratch your head a little bit and think about where is all the money going because there's no way that we pay more than Liverpool or Tottenham etc mm-hmm. um, some of the players that they have at their disposal compared to some of the guys we have so yeah you know I think it's, it's a problem maybe Fulham can come in for him um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if any sort of Premier League team came in for him maybe Everton or something like that but um, yeah I, I don't I don't think he's going to be here beyond January because as, as lovely as it is to be the club's official Instagrammer um, it's uh, it's tricky for him to as, as a person to, to just sit on the bench or not, not even busy just sitting on the sitting in the stands every single game it's a little bit uh, depressing I mean, God bless them. I mean, those three, three players in question, I do genuinely think they've got a lot to offer different Premier League clubs. Yes, um, yeah. You know, Cahill's a great defender in the box a lot of the time, loves a goal off a set piece. Um, it's just when someone's running on against him and he's not a ball player, so, it, you know, legend or not, it's probably not time for him. And, you know, Moses can do a job and probably wing back or 4-2-3-1 four, four, on the right wing. Um, and Drinkwater, well, he, can, he can get rid of a ball if it's given to him. But, um... Yeah, just to, and also wanted to say uh, you're right about the wage bill, but it could be worse. You could be paying 350k for an unused Ozil and 200k for Mkhitaryan, yeah. you know. So, yeah. um, all right, I want to finish part one just talking about two players, mate, about Ampadu and Callum Hudson Adoy. Um, Ampadu quickly. Um, I heard him talk on the London Blue podcast a long time ago. Uh, sorry, excuse me, not him. I heard Matt Law uh, talk about Ampadu watching him at the training ground, and he actually said at the time he believes uh, he could be, or rather is in terms of ability Chelsea's best centre-back because he's just so good on the ball he's got obviously us as Chelsea fans would probably both agree he's got those sort of leadership qualities at such a young age but um would you would you prefer to see him as a centre-back or a sort of midfielder or would you like like him to continue as a bit of a sort of utility player I think one of the difficulties in, and this is a lot of young players I'm thinking a little bit back to Nathan Ake here is Sometimes the versatility of some of our younger players counts against them because mm-hmm. they're more as kind of plan B and plan C rather than the plan A. I mean, you had Nathan Ake could cover left wing back, left back, centre back, holding midfield, probably playing midfield. You know, he could cover so many different positions that he never really got to shine or play in, in one particular spot. And the one thing that I wouldn't want Ampadu to do is kind of be a, a kind of jack of all trades player who is, is he, you know, he's seen as a good centre back and a good midfielder, but not a great centre back or a great midfielder. So, Eric Dyer. I'd like, 
yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. no, I'd, I'd like the club to, to sort of make a decision with him on where he's best. And my personal opinion, I think, yeah, he's a great centre back, but I think he has the qualities and the ability to be an incredibly good midfielder. Um, you know, sorry, sort of kind of touched upon him playing sort of the Jorginho role. Interesting. Yeah. He's maybe slightly more expansive in his passing, particularly when I've seen him play for Wales in midfield. Yes, I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's sort of the major difference. I mean, he can do all the neat and tidy stuff. He's obviously incredibly good on the ball. But the thing I think he brings to midfield, which we lack, is just aggression. Steel. You know, he, is, he is incredibly aggressive. Not, uh, not a nasty or not a vindictive player, but incredibly aggressive, incredibly combative. You know, he doesn't take any nonsense from any player. And I think sometimes, particularly going back to some of the Spurs games in midfield, Eric Dyer's bullied us, Deli Ali's bullied us, you know, Dembele used to bully us in midfield. Mm. We lack a bit of that aggression of someone who is, you know, maybe rightly or wrongly, just going to fly in and, and, and sort of win, win tackles and, and give a little bit of oomph to midfield. So I think not only does Ampadu have this incredible technical side to his game, um, which means he probably could become that kind of midfielder who obviously receives the ball in very tight situations and maybe it's a case of sort of popping off five-yard passes all the time or turning it and, and actually playing with the ball and bringing the ball up. But he gives you a bit of aggression, he gives you a bit of physicality, he gives you a bit of leadership in the middle of the park because although Kante is an incredibly great player, I, I don't feel that there's a, there's a vocal leadership. I don't feel I feel like he's a, he's just the kind of player who plays in midfield. He's, he's not like an Essien who is just going to, you know, take take that midfield by the scruff of his neck and just drive it and push it and pull it. Yes. He's more yes. just a, he's a, he's a piece in the machine. So to get someone in midfield with Ampadu's leadership, with his qualities, with his technical ability, you know, I think that, that would be a big plus. So, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, that, that's my kind of midfielder, that sort of player. Lovely. Uh, it's why my person is my favourite, you know, one of my favourite, well, he's my favourite Chelsea player. Okay, uh, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, so kind of that sort of thing in midfield. But yeah, but that's personal where I'd see him, but it doesn't surprise me that people think he's the best centre-back at the club. Um, you know, he's he's got all of the abilities uh, you would want in terms of being able to obviously play out from the back, bring the ball up from the back, aggression. He's great in the air. He seems to have a very innate sense of timing when it comes to sort of defensive actions as well, which is not something that I've really seen from a Chelsea youngster even, you know, probably maybe John Terry was the last one who seemed to just have that like knack as if he'd been playing the game for 30, 40 years. Yeah, well, um, that's, that's what I was going to say, Joe, because uh, you 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 correctly reeled off all those positive attributes about Ampadu, and I was having a little chuckle to myself, like we're talking about someone who's literally just turned 18. Exactly, yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just madness. Yeah, so you know what? Oh, yeah, I'd agree with you. For someone to he could dominate a midfield both defensively and distribute well so uh, just to end part one I know you're a big big fan of Callum Hudson-Odoi as the majority of the fan base um, so there's been a lot of stuff about him and Bayern Munich I don't want to get into the politics of that but I want to sorry did come out and talk about using Ampadu and Callum Hudson-Odoi um, towards the end of the season which to me insinuates he's not going anywhere in January that's what I think Um do you think we'd be able to convince him by by the summer with you know starting games coming on like between Spurs and Arsenal I think he'll make maybe a start and even like a sub appearance do you think that will be enough for him with game time over the six months or sorry however long's left for him to maybe sign for Chelsea and maybe Bayern Munich might bugger off by then yeah I mean I think speaking to some people I know within the game it's it's not so much Hudson Odoi himself pushing for the move, but his his representatives seem to think that it's an incredibly good thing for him. And you know, this is a, a player who who has a, a genuine love for the club. I mean, he's yes. he's growing up at Chelsea. He is he is a Chelsea fan on the pitch, and that's why I feel the situation is 
is quite sad. I mean, it, it will come down to, to the club. You know, we've we've often heard them talk a good game and, and tell youngsters to be patient and, and all these sorts of uh, almost sort of empty kind of platitudes that they say towards them. But they have a situation now where they have a, a I do genuinely believe a, a potential star of, of world football kind of in their own academy. And you either play him or you lose him. You know, play him or he'll go. I mean, that, that's kind of the the line that the club has to has to kind of sort of realise that this this is what's at stake because I think if he's not if he's not a, you know near enough a, a regular um, towards the end you know by towards the end of the season I think he's he's well within his rights to ask the club to to move on. Um, Good, yeah. You know I, I hope that he sees that I, I imagine one one of Pedro William is probably going to leave in the summer. Mm. Um, obviously don't really want to get into the speculation around Hazard but you know that's an obvious uh, point as well. Yeah, yeah. If, if say Hazard leaves to Madrid and Pedro or William, one of William leaves, and there's literally Christian Pulisic and Hudson Odoi and a 31, 32 year old, whoever's going to be there. So mm-hmm. I don't think the club have necessarily done a, a good enough job in, in convincing him that there's, that there's a pathway to being a regular at Chelsea. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really up to them now. If they play him, you know, that they can kind of show that they've, they've sort of done everything there. I think they have to make a a real genuine concerted effort with him you know I know, I know it's people are going well he's just a kid he shouldn't get special treatment but you know it's it's, it's how the, the club have got to play it you know they have so much history counting against them when it comes to young players yes. I mean let's forget that you know Loftus-Cheek was sort of the jewel of the academy from 17 to 20 mm-hmm. he played 1200 minutes of football in three seasons which you know 400 minutes a year is absolutely nothing it's, it's less, mm-hmm. less than four games a year he's actually played you know, and that's being patient being loyal now, all of these words that are getting thrown at him, to, but you know, but he's got examples that are in the squad. He's got examples in terms of his his, his immediate peer group, you know, of, of players who have had these promises and we've not delivered on them. So, it feels a little bit like the the chickens are coming home to roost for Chelsea. Um, Hudson Doyle may be the first of potentially of many of youngsters who refuse to, to to sort of sign the kind of the second professional deal with the club if they don't start seeing the pathway that they that they believe is. Should be created for for the better for the better kids in the academy to sort of get in the first team. Chelsea have a real opportunity now. Pedro and we in the kind of flip flopping in form. You know, if you had uh, Hazard and let's say I don't know Pedro was completely playing out of his skin every week, or William completely you know dominating every week, then you know the club have obviously got some 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 points to make. But because you know the other guy opposite Hazard, even Hazard himself this season hasn't been sparkling all the time. No, there are yeah. a bit to play him and maybe he hasn't got the game time so you know part of me hopes that he he's played um, and not not just because to keep him around but I think he, he deserves to play on merit um, you know, he's got the ability it's not a question of just playing him to keep him around it's, it's playing because I think he'll actually help Chelsea win games which is the crucial part so yeah you know it's going to be a tricky one to keep him around mm. I think he had his head turned by and Munich are obviously uh, an enormous club they've, they've definitely got their claws into him um, it's just a question now of, of, of Chelsea. You know, the proof is in the pudding. And yeah. if they play him, you know, they, they can maybe hold their hands up and say, we tried everything. If they don't play him, if he continues to be a bit part player, then I think we all know how this is going to end in the summer. I agree. I mean, you know, Bayern Munich offering him the number 10 shirt, European superpower 18. You can see why his camp would be like, fucking go to Bayern Munich, mate. But, yes, um, it's- I think I think also you're right about everything you said about his peers, but this could be the wake up call. Bayern Munich could be the wake up call that they needed, you know. So maybe maybe all things considered, looking at Bayern continuing the playtime that we've given them these last few weeks, like if that sort of is perpetual, I personally think 
that will be enough because Bayern might fizzle out a little bit. I don't know, but I've, I'm, I'm going to be um, an optimist and think if we continue what we've been doing in terms of offering him playtime and the fans singing his name and a couple of more goals for his boyhood club, you know, the optimist in me has a, has a good outlook. But um, yeah, I want to wrap up uh, part one, Joe. So we'll um, we'll be back in for part two. Welcome back to Yannick on Chelsea. Cool, so in this part, there's a few things I want to discuss. Um, firstly being, let's look back at the Newcastle game, Joe. Uh, two excellent goals from our ageing wingers. Um, we could uh, First, let's just talk about the game. Do you think um, going 1-0 up, complacency sinks in, and the sort of recurring sorry narrative of weak mentality or whatever he says do you think that was the case that had the sort of worrisome elements in the game yeah I mean I think probably you know post Everton this season that some of these these games I mean you could just swap the kit on the other team and it's sort of the same game played over and over and over and mm. I think the Newcastle game in particular you know it was I don't know if, it, if it's a complacency or, or just a lack of urgency in possession but it, it felt quite flat, even sort of after we scored the goal. And I, I, you know, both goals probably talk, talk about them in a bit, but were absolutely mm. superb. But it was to me, you know, as if the, the team kind of felt, you know, job done at one 0 and, and we know that this season that that's not always been the been the case in, in terms of sort of how teams are reacted. And you know, it was a it was another sort of goal conceded from a, from a cross or a threatening situation from a, from a set piece that we sort of conceded and this sort of way that we're defending set pieces this season, sort of this whole zonal marking scheme. I'm not really sold on zonal or, or man-to-man marking, but we are conceding a lot of uh, a lot of chances, I think, from, from generally any sort of cross situation. So, you know, again, it's, it's not a great look when, when a team can, can, I mean, again, to be fair, it was an incredibly good header, but to, to give someone of that ability that, mm. the, you know, in the air, to, to give him that space to, to find kind of the header was a bit disappointing. But, yeah, I mean, I, I felt overall the game was pretty flat. I mean, obviously Hazard was was kind of a bit of a non-entity playing as, I don't think it's so much as a false nine anymore. He is playing as a, as a sort of genuine centre-forward. So mm. having him uh, completely isolated in, in the game, you know, no no impacts. Um, I think that's partly where sort of this uh, this system of playing him down the middle would lose its, its spark a bit because he's one of the few players that adds a bit of sparkle in possession. And, you know, I think overall, you know, Pedro and, and William, fantastic goals. I'm not necessarily sure if he took, took the goals away that, that their performances were... Well, that fantastic in terms of possession and, and just the kind of general flow of the game. But yeah, I was you no. Know, again, it's 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 a win. You know, three points is three points, and and yeah. kind of creating that sort of buffer to to Arsenal and, and also obviously Manchester United now sort of have re, reinvigorated themselves kind of post Mourinho. So yeah, well we can talk about no, that in a bit. Yeah, no, no complaints about the win, but you know at the end of the season, I, you know if you ask me about the Newcastle game, I don't think I could recall anything from it. It was just a bit of a bit of a yeah bit of a really yeah yeah I mean I completely agree with you it's one of those things that you sort of analyse a bit more because of the whole situation and the narrative at Chelsea of the new coach and what's working and what's not working you're very right there were two excellent goals I mean that Pedro first goal obviously was an amazing amazing ball from Louise um and uh, an amazing take and finish by Pedro and that's Pedro at his best if he's not you know doing what managers like him because he's like industrious and scurries about and will work really really hard but he's very very good at doing that taking the ball and finishing which is 
something that we need. But we can't rely on like a 31, 32 year old little Spaniard guy who is going to eventually slow down and is quite lightweight. Um, Willian obviously scored that worldie. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to go into the sort of Willian debate because I think he's he, he's. I'm sure you'd probably agree with me in the sense of he's an excellent player. He's been good for us, but he's not good enough anymore in the in terms of in the age of when you're these top tier wingers being like you know your Sellers and your Sterlings. If we really have that ambition, we need a sort of a, a better better numbers. Um, a, 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 but with um, and he could again, he could have had a hat trick easy. Well, yeah, his goal, easy, yeah. yeah, I mean his goal wasn't easy, but the other two chances missed were easy. It was the most difficult chance of the three that he had. Yeah, by by a long by a long yeah. shot. I think also, yeah, yeah. I think also like with Hazard, the the one positive attribute maybe is that Sari's voiced before is that. It, in his system, obviously it's it's it long balls up to him, it's frustrating. But in his system, we seem to play better defensively um, when the team's up for it. But I don't know if it's to do with his quick turn of pace in terms of pressing and stuff, or or the fact how he doesn't have to track back on the left wing. The other wingers are more inclined to track back. Um, but but do you, when I you'll probably agree with this, I imagine. But his even if he does have license to roam and interchange with the front three, if he starts in that false nine and or inverted commas or nine, and he knows that's his general role, his form just dips. Would would you be, agree with that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, this is this is an experiment we've seen going back to the Roberto Di Matteo days with Hazard. You know, what was yeah. it away to Juventus where it just didn't work and. You know, maybe uh, just a, a ballpark probably guess here. Maybe we played him there 10, 15 times or something in, in the years he's been here. Probably less than that. Mm. I, I can't really recall a, a, com- a complete standout superstar performance. I mean, did, did he play there against City when we beat yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. That, that's the one game that I can think of that, that's, that immediately comes to mind. Mm. Um, but maybe one or two out of, let's say, 10, you know, for, for Hazard, who has had so many memorable moments playing from the left. Mm. And I think for Wyatt, it's... It kind of it sort of restricts him because I think in his head he, he feels like he needs to be the focal point of the attack when he plays there or starts there I should say rather than when he kind of rotates in rather than kind of when he sort of comes off the left and sort of just does his own thing mm. it, it almost feels like he he feels some attachment to kind of be the focal point to be around the centre back to be kind of the tip of the attack and I think you're right you, you know you kind of you're almost sort of shackling him into sort of a you know a section of the pitch where you know he's his kind of creativity and his genius is in, in when he drifts into different spaces across the pitch, mm. whether it's wide left, whether he kind of comes into the half spaces or plays in sort of the kind of number 10 position. Mm. You know, you, that's when you get the best out of Hazard. So, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I just think he, I'm not just going to say he disappears in, in that he, you know, he hides away from, from playing there. It's just, I think that the structure of the team and, and I can't remember his touch count in the game, but I remember hearing it and thinking it was incredibly low for playing up front. You know, he's normally a 80 toucher, you know, probably 80 as a game player. Yeah. I think he's about 30 at one point or something like that. But, mm. you know, it's, it's putting probably our, our best player um, in a position that, that doesn't really influence the, the team. And I completely understand the sort of defensive stuff, you know, that, that Sari's going about. And Hazard, mm. well, he's not lazy, but he's not he's not a diligent defensive winger like, like some others are. And you put him with, you know, Marcus Alonso in, in his current form. And, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, maybe Kovacic on the left. And he's, Kovacic is, is a worker, but I think he's not Nungano Kante in terms of, you know, covering that sort of position in the pitch. And then, uh, you know, that, that sort of triangle of players... 
I don't think necessarily is the best sort of protection that, that Chelsea can have. And it's often David Luiz is kind of being pulled out of position is that, you know, he's got to cover for Alonso, he's covering space that Kovacic maybe should be in. And also the fact that Hazard probably doesn't track back as much as he should. Mm. Also, we should go back to sort of the Mourinho days of him playing as a left back. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's maybe some expectation that he probably should come back a little bit more than he does. But that combination of him and, and Alonso in particular, I think is, is quite dangerous. Um, and it's no real surprise that when teams attack us, down that, that down that left hand side that they often get joy because you know neither actually neither Alonso or Hazard are that fantastic at getting back um, if we're being countered. Well, yeah, very good points, and we can we can further that uh, shortly when we talk about Arsenal doing us on the flanks and doing cutbacks like that uh, yeah. previous fixture. But just um, you're right. But let's not forget Sari early doors. You know when he was just waxing lyrical about Hazard and rightly you know um, when he came to the club he's like no I don't want him to track back you know I want him to stay up I want him to score 40 goals <laughs> you know all this kind of stuff he was saying so um, he's not I don't think he wants him to track back but he's probably thinking oh maybe someone at the moment on the left wing needs to track back because and you know to his credit we've been a lot better defensively of late than you know we went for a bad few weeks I think maybe but you know so <laughs> Yeah, and and just um, one of the earlier points that we were discussing on Hazard, I don't see him as a uh, mentally weak or fragile player, but I think him, as soon as he walks onto the pitch, knowing he's playing that that four to nine or that nine role, it, it sort of it sets a precedent or a context in the game where he doesn't become like you say when he's touching the ball less he's a very joyful footballer when he's having fun and he's feeling joy he's like a a wizard to watch and we all love him but I think that's almost immediately under threat as soon as he doesn't start on the left I think probably Um, yeah so that's with the Newcastle game like you said I'm I'm with you mate take the three points and go I mean it, it's not I'm not really happy with how it went but I think the club and surely Sarri is going to be looking at everything and I, I don't think he was overly happy with a lot of the elements of the game um, I think you know David Luiz maybe uh, there was a great header but maybe he could have done a little bit better but I, uh, I said on Love Sport yesterday I quoted a funny tweet um, I'm a big David Luiz fan but I quoted a tweet about um, I saw someone saying uh, David Luiz is the only centre back that would execute a 50 yard no look assist and then go back to no look defending. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was superb. Um, but again, I do love him. Again, he's an anomaly, isn't he? Because he was excellent against City. Like he does, I've what he does some amazing demonstrations of really intelligent defensive play. If it's like a little shimmy to make the player offside or you know he does do a little bit of, he does he, he does a lot of rosette stuff which is fine it's a safety you know method a lot of the time but but you know he's inescapable uh, lapses of concentration or one-on-ones or i don't know but um just just before we move on actually a, a quick one on david louise it does look like there was different news new stories about him how he may or may not want to leave because of the over 30 policy at chelsea um Hopefully, you know, I think every Chelsea fan wants him to remain around the club for his, like, he's a very sweet man. He's um He knows what Chelsea's about. Um, would you be happy for him to continue in the centre-back role next season? Um, or would you prefer to try and implement a Christensen or maybe a Sarri new signing to, to, to maybe partner Rudiger? How, how would you feel about that? It's a good question. Um, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Louise fan. Um, I have been pretty much since we bought him, and even when we bought him back, I think he's he's incredibly underrated. And I think that that whole Gary Neville kind of attack and, and narrative on him has 
it's plagued him a little bit because, you know, yes, he makes, uh, you know, he does make mistakes, but, you know, so have a lot of very high-profile defenders in their career, but they don't seem to get as much kind of constant stick or it will become mm-hmm. such a, a thing for them any time that they sort of misplace a pass or that they maybe misjudge a head or yeah, something. Yeah, well, it's, been, it's um, like been fermented as a narrative, isn't it? So when he yeah, does do one, yeah. It, yeah. Sorry, yeah, go yeah. on, mate. Yeah, no, it's exactly that. It, it's sort of festered, and any time even the, a small mistake crops up, it's like, oh, yeah, David Luiz, the PlayStation defender, mm-hmm. rather than, as you say, you know, putting in that performance against City, which was absolutely incredible how good mm-hmm. he was in the game. Um, my problem with, with Chelsea's centre-back options is that I think David Luiz is is what I consider to be, he's the only alpha that we have at the back, and I include Rudiger in this as well. I think Interesting, yeah. Rudiger and Christensen both need to play with a, a better player to, to, to kind of elevate themselves and, and, and make them uh, maybe not, not make them more confident is probably the wrong phrase but to, to sort of elevate their game it's and, a chemistry thing right exactly yeah I think when Ru- I've seen Rudiger and Christensen play together there's kind of a there's like an, it's a little bit awkward at times I think sometimes that there's spacing between them whether it's the communication or sometimes it's it's not knowing uh, who, who kind of who goes for the, the initial header and, and, and there seems to be a little bit of this uh, yeah you know that sort of creeps in when they play and passive if Luis kind of moves on, um, then I, I would expect uh, Chelsea to go out and try and buy a, a, a slightly more dominant player at the back, someone who can be really commanding. And, you know, I, I always look at Virgil van Dijk as an incredibly good example of what an alpha-type centre-half can add to an entire back four. And, you know, he's got an incredibly young right-back. He's got, a, you know, an incredibly, I think, Robertson's still pretty young, you know, left-back playing next to him. He's even made, uh, you know, Lovren look half sort of capable as well. So... I think bringing in someone of, of that kind of calibre to play with Rudiger or to play with Christensen is probably needed. Mm. Um, I personally, I mean, I, I would be more than happy for them, the club to give you know Louisa the two-year deal, and not so much the fact of him being a player, but I think he's the only person at that football club really that has, let's say, the, the kind of the, the CV or the Chelsea CV. Obviously, he's won the Champions League and, and Premier League, etc. Mm. But who of a senior kind of. I suppose senior players at the club who really understands what it means to play for the club. You know, he is almost the kind of the last sort of links to to sort of John Terry and, and, and Lampard and having that sort of DNA that, that's that's obviously come from Drogba and the players that he's played with. He for me is the last real link to that sort of that mentality, that spine of the club. So to lose that, to lose his influence in the dressing room, to lose his kind of leadership on the pitch and leadership at the back, I think would be problematic because if Louise goes, I mean there's not for me I mean, bar, you know, bar Ethan Ampadu, there's like a, a huge presence on that in that first 11 who's screaming, you know, follow me, I'm just going to take the team on back, push forward. Mm. You know, been lucky to grow up watching a team that's had maybe eight or nine of those players. And, you know, now that we're, we're kind of clinging on to, to one that's sort of left at the club. So, you know, I think his, yeah. his personality, more than his ability, I think just his personality, the way that he can influence players, the way that he can maybe kind of introduce them to, to sort of the expectations and, and the standards of Chelsea. And I think that's that's one of the things that he can impart on players would be that would be very, very difficult to lose. But yeah, if, if he if he does go, you know, Rudiger and Christensen, it might work in the future, you know, but uh from what I've seen so far, I think both of them would benefit from just having a, a, a really top class centre half playing next to them. I think if you've got that with either of them, then I think both of them would look a lot more secure, um, a lot more consistent as well with how they play. Absolutely, yeah. It's a sort of like, you know, it's like you say, a touch of the John Terry in terms of how they sort of power up almost, uh, if you excuse yeah. a sort of weird video game reference there, uh, yeah. the, the, the back sort of regimen. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the only thing I completely agree with you in terms, certainly Christensen seems very passive. I've watched him quite a few times at the bridge. Very technical ball player. Um, uh, again, it's something I said before. Like um, He's really highly rated, um, Christensen. I think Matt Law said this again on the podcast, talking about that game that... Um, we really passively bent over for City again under Conte, although we were, you know, very submissive in that game. Um, I think Christensen did some good stuff, and at the final whistle, Guardiola latched onto Christensen and got on his ear. So I think, you know, a lot of people um, respect his ability, but as a character, quite passive. Um, Rudiger, it's got a lot of heart. Like he's got like maybe. Um, sort of captain future captain qualities in terms of like when it's not good enough he comes out and says no we were crap it's not good enough it's stupid yeah. it's done we gotta do that but whether that immediately translate to what you're talking about in terms of regimenting people on the pitch and stuff i'm not entirely sure certainly for the moment anyway so um yeah i'm, I'm with you joe on all those sort of points um and uh you know yeah i think there's not much more to say on the newcastle uh, game so Let's move on to the six-pointer next weekend. Um, obviously, Arsenal have just come off a defeat when they probably should have won, and I don't like playing teams that have just lost like that. It doesn't... I know, obviously, it sounds like, oh, they're in poor form or whatever, but to me, it's like they've got a point to prove. They're going to be at home against a London rival. Um, what are your initial thoughts about this game, mate? I mean, I think Arsenal were a little bit at the moment. They're kind of entering that phase now where they they look to me like they've kind of they've got no identity in the team at all at the moment. And you know, you've got a, a coach who who seems to value kind of uh, let's say runners and, and, and guys who are kind of sort of high effort players with kind of a you know, Erzul's kind of been dropped from the from the sort of system, and he's kind of valuing this sort of new approach at Arsenal. And I'm not sure really, you know, given the kind of recent form. Uh, obviously, they got smashed by smashed by Liverpool, drew with Brighton, obviously got beat by West Ham in the past couple of games. Mm. I'm not sure how confident they'll be to play us, considering I imagine that they'll try and be on the front foot. And I think this is a good game to sort of for us to adopt similar sort of tactics to the to the City game, the game where we're yeah. just kind of soaking up the pressure. But even the, again, in that second half against City, for, for 20, 30 minutes, we were playing them off the pitch. Mm -hmm. So my, my hope is, again, I think you're right in the point you said earlier, maybe in the, in the kind of previous shows, in these bigger games, Chelsea do seem to raise their level. And I think that that's just an internal thing at the club. I think that that's just a, a thing that Chelsea typically do is, is, is play to kind of the standard of the opposition. And I think in that case, I'm, I'm fairly confident here. I mean, again, it's, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a game that we can't lose. We can't lose the game. We've got a pretty good uh, advantage on them at the moment. Obviously, going there and winning is, would be an incredible uh, you know, thing to put a, to put a nine-point gap between us and, and Arsenal. Um, would obviously be incredible for the for the sort of running and, and you know the kind of the games that are coming up as well. So yeah. it's it's for me. I don't I, I don't like going into games that Arsenal feeling confident because we typically lose when I feel confident when we play against them. But yeah. I'm, I find it difficult at the moment given given how both sides are playing. Yes, we're not playing fantastically well, but I have more faith in us to kind of raise our game than I do in Arsenal at the moment. So. You know, again, I'd love to go there, and I, I, maybe this is a, a game that we nick two-one. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a game that we can win. I think it's a game that, that will be set up to win. Mm -hmm. um, for me, as long as we don't lose, um, that is the that's the critical thing. Okay, yeah, good points. Um, the main sort of 
talking point in this game for me that I want to ask you about is obviously it's a long time ago and there's a lot been a lot of development for both teams whether it be positive or negative since the reverse fixture but we were being done on the flanks chronically and it was the cutbacks and for some reason the Lord Saviour put the hands around <laughs> Chelsea that day and there were just absolute howlers and sitters being missed constantly I don't know if you remember but there was a run of games where it was just fashionable to miss sitters against Chelsea yeah. <laughs> in, in, all, in all competitions um yeah, again, I, 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 yeah, I went on the Arsenal show on Love Sport yesterday to talk about Chelsea and they were talking about how they had Yang and Awobi on the same side as Alonso and they were just roasting him and like giving it, you know, he, he didn't know, I think the Arsenal host said to me he didn't know what day it was and I'm inclined to believe that. Um, so two questions to you uh, the first is probably like it's just a, you know give me whatever answer do you think we'll be done on the flanks again uh, do you think Saru will be canny to that um, and B um, what do you think of Marcus Alonso this season question um, I, I think they're quite they're quite interlinked to be honest the answers um, mm. I think Arsenal will definitely get joy um, probably done both flanks I don't think at the moment well, actually, I would say probably the last couple of games, the right-hand side has been more solid. Mm. I think a lot of that has to do with Kante's positioning and, and how he's sort of helping us for the quarter, yeah, but Developing in this game and stuff. Exactly, that, yeah. He's, he's learning, he's, he's adapting to that sort of right central midfield role that, that Sarri's asking him to fill. Um, also, you know, if, if you've got Pedro playing ahead of you, then he's obviously going to provide a bit more cover um, from, a, from a winger perspective. So, so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not wholly concerned uh, with the right-hand side, but the... The left-hand side does worry me. Um, you know, if, we, if we're talking about Marcus Alonso, I mean, I, I'm not sort of hypocritical here. This is a guy that I've, I've not particularly been a fan of um, since Chelsea bought him, and okay. I've often felt in in Sarri's system. But even as a wing-back, he had so much protection. You know, you've got a, an additional centre-back, so you're covering slightly less in terms of a, of a channel in terms of the field. You've obviously got a, a almost two two defensive midfielders who play pretty much. Um, in, in sort of the, the season that he people presume to be his best, so he's got fantastic cover from a from a midfielder. Also, you know, cover from the from the the winger ahead of him. So he, he was very well protected in that system. And I always had concerns that when we switch back to a back four, if you know, Conte was ever to leave, that I think we would see the player that I thought he would be when he came to the club. I mean, don't get me wrong, he certainly outperformed my expectations mm. as a left wing back, and I think he had some pretty good games, but. Now that we're playing a traditional back four, you know, I think he's been, you know, frankly, quite abysmal this season. And, I agree. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, maybe quite harsh to say that, but uh, I mean, some of the, some of the effort that he puts in during games, it, it, it kind of bewilders me a bit. And going touching back slightly on the Newcastle game, but there was a moment where I think that they started counterattacking us, and but on the television, like, I could see um, Kovacic sprint back into sort of that that massive chasm at left back. I could see, I think it might have been Pedro. And William and I could see all the Newcastle players pouring forward. Mm. Me and my sort of thinking, where's where's Alonso? And at ten sort of seconds past, I'm still thinking oh, he must be injured up the other end of the pitch. And yet the ball kind of broke, it sort of broke into midfield and Alonso was standing in like the centre circle. I'm <laughs> just yeah, like yeah. You know, oh. is, is he now you know just in his head because he's got this new contract, you know, he's on a he's on an absolute fortune, you know, for the next five years. Mm. He sort of seems to develop this kind of Roberto Carlos mentality where he can he can run for, but he can't get back. And you know, he he gets exposed week after week by not particularly great players, and, and that's also a concern. It's, you know, it's not like he's, you know, Ashley Cole playing against Pete Ronaldo every single week, and yeah. it's 
it's a real good one-on-one. He's getting done by some very, very average players. And, you know, it, it's a concern. It's a real concern for me that he's, you know, he's obviously got this incredibly long contract till what's it, 20, 22, 23, something like that. And he may be the left back that we have to we have to play with for the next couple of seasons because of his salary. You know, it's wow. uh, yeah. it's, it's a tricky one. You know, I don't, I don't like hammering players, but for this season, from what I've seen, you know, he he looks like the player who was at Bolton and then was at Sunderland. Doesn't look like the player that, that Real Madrid yeah. buy in the summer. You know, it's it's it's. I think people have often kind of conflated left wing back and left back as two very similar roles, no. but the the responsibilities you have, particularly defensively as a left-back, are infinitely more difficult or more complex than a left-wing-back. Um, well, I was going to say, I think Azpilicueta has proven that uh, right-centre-back is probably closer to right-back than right-back yeah. is to right-wing-back, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so, yeah, a few things on Alonso. This season, I agree, he's been abysmal. Not only has he been shit... He's um he's developed this sort of petulance almost where he's got that grumpy face and he's shouting at players and his relationship breakdown with Hazard has been so evident in terms of yeah. like Hazard just looks at him and he just slumps his shoulders like what was that come on do you know what I mean like and we don't want Hazard to lose patience with him so that's been incredibly evident you know there was a game the other day when he got yellow carded for like kicking the ball away he got you know, throwing the ball away and off like in the second minute, I can't remember which game it was, but I was thinking, and then you got into an argument with Hazard all within like the first five minutes. Your, yeah. your head is not supposed to be like that in the first five minutes of the game. You know, and you don't you don't argue with your best chance of winning games and whatever. Anyway, so I agree with you. It's a very worrying situation. It's so funny how opposition fans think he's like the best ever because he scores goals. But to, to, to his credit to say a positive about him when in form which he is not he's got a sweet left foot on him um whether that's uh volley you know scoring a scoring a free kick or he scored volleys he can score headers we've seen him get in the box like a poacher and do poachers finishes you know like like a striker would and then, you know like you feel like it's like a striker playing for he literally like you know, upon reflection, he's not great at tackling. He's slow. He hangs up the pitch too much. It's literally like a striker's playing fullback in a weird way, isn't it? Kind of. Yeah, I think one of the one of the very very strange things about Marcus Alonso is, I mean, I, I, I'm very happy to admit, like, from like a ball striking perspective, he's one of the best dead ball players I've ever seen at Chelsea. His free kicks, yeah. you know, his is generally are mm. of such a high level. But if you've generally if you've generally got that talent, then I don't understand how we can't cross the football when he when it's moving because yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw I saw a statistic earlier in the week that he's completed like nine percent of his crosses and I think an average back there is dismal. Yeah, I know an average, particularly when you're crossing it into Morata. I mean, that's literally all the guy can do is head the ball into a room. I mean, it's you know it's it's, it's not a maybe if, it, if hazards there then fair enough. But I mean, you know that an average is around about twenty percent, maybe twenty five percent, maybe you know sort of for for a team with, with a target man. Let's say twenty percent is a is a good target. But mm. you know, it's it, for me it, it baffles me, and it's not because it just seems like his all of that technique that's in his foot just disappears with the ball's moving. It's mm. it reminds me of the whole Michael McIntyre joke when. You know that you're a dead ball specialist. You can only play the game when the ball's, you know, still. It's, it's just insane that he loses the ability to cross and, yeah. you know, whether it's cutting the ball back or actually floating a ball in, it just disappears. And uh, it, he, I mean, that, that's one of the things that frustrates me. Is if you're going to be an attacking fullback, you know, do do all of the attacking stuff. I don't care if you if you don't want to defend. If you're putting in amazing crosses and 
and you know you're, you're putting in amazing balls at the time but he can't even really do that so I struggle to see like, like you say you know he, he is a striker playing left <laughs> yeah well exactly you know he can sniff out a finish he, you've seen him do some wonder volleys as well but it's not weak you know <laughs> just, but it's, it's, it's nonsense for you don't want that for you know the opposition fans will see that and be like wow you've got some sort of superstar like, what and he's a defender but you're like yes he's a defender <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something you need to be doing alright well we, I think we share the same opinions on the ones yeah. I made um, just, I, I want to round off with a subject in, in just a second but how do you think Arsenal or Chelsea would go do you want to give me a score prediction I think I think whoever scores first wins and I think Chelsea will win 2-1 brilliant have that all day right okay so we've gone through some games and some players and whatnot over these two parts um I want to talk about I don't want to talk about a trophy because I'm not going to judge sorry necessarily on getting a trophy I just want to wrap up on top four um Arsenal look like they probably won't get top four, but there's been a sort of a, a revolution at United, and they're really my only sort of concern about what's going to happen, especially, I don't know if you've glanced at ours and their run of fixtures. Um, yeah. They've got a very good run of fixtures. I mean, I do think Spurs on another day win that game that they recently played 3 or 4-1. Yes. <laughs> um, but with their run of fixtures and stuff... What, 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 how do you see the sort of rest just sort of domestically because just in terms of the league how do you see the rest of the season sort of panning out for us and our hopes in top four I think it's an interesting situation because I think the Kane injury and, and Sun leaving Tottenham kind of changes the yes. the way we're looking because I've been looking down for pretty much all the season looking at Arsenal looking at United's results and I think now that, that Tottenham uh have obviously lost Kane and you know he's out for quite a considerable amount of time. Then I think maybe now now I'm starting to look up the table and thinking, mm. well, hang on, if if these sort of uh, games that, that you know Kane is turning from a draw into a win and all of a sudden start becoming draws, then you know it, it's a question I think that we can potentially catch them up. But I you know part of me again you know the sort of the, the glass half full kind of uh, perspective is mm. is literally united and I think you're right in, in terms of what's happening there. I think the result against Tottenham reminded me of, of Manchester United teams of old. You know, they they played uh, incredible sort of counter-attacking football. The rational goal was incredible, but they've always been an incredibly, I don't want to say lucky, but I mean, you know, they're they're a team that, that can be resilient, that can withstand. Dig in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And they were able to dig in and obviously De Gea has had an absolute incredible performance, but it's, it's that kind of mentality that they've got back, which is the worrying thing, because... You know, for, for those of you who may be a bit younger than, than me, you know, growing up with Manchester United in sort of the, the 90s and early noughties, mm-hmm. and this, this was a team that you'd, sometimes you'd watch them play and be like, how, how are they winning this game? Mm-hmm. And you see that four, five, six, seven times a season, and that's how they become champions. So, you know, when you, when you win games that you, that you shouldn't win, when you get points where you shouldn't get points, and, you know, I, I think Solskjaer has, has kind of brought back that sort of old-school Ferguson mentality to the club. There's obviously... Yeah expression there that we're seeing Popper is, is starting to, to play to the potential I think the United fans would have wanted to see in him as well Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's going to be interesting because you know I think Sarri's future is is, is intertwined with, with whether we get Champions League football um, and, do, you think, and, do, you, do you genuinely believe that? So I, do, I, do genuinely, I, think, I think that they will have a, probably reassess what he's doing what about if fifth they, in the yeah. FA Cup? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think it's all Champions League. If he gets fifth and say he wins the Europa League, then that'll be fine. Yeah. Chance, but it's it's a commercial thing for me. It, it's it's the money that they get from being in the Champions League that looks in this season. Um, well, Europa and, League would bring obviously Champions. Exactly, League. yeah. 
yes, yeah, so a winning Europa League would give us a Champions League place. But it's, you know, the club, you know, I always look back to the statement of, of Marina Granovskaya when he came in. They, they were looking to implement the philosophy, but, you know, the philosophy will go out the window if we don't if we don't qualify for Europe. In my opinion, I think that he would be on the hot seat. I'm not saying that he would necessarily get fired, but, you know, we've, we've seen managers go for less at Chelsea, let's put it that way. So I think that's why this season... For him, in terms of his his project and what he wants to implement Chelsea, finishing in the Champions League places is, is incredibly, incredibly important for him because I'd like to see what he does with some more additions with the team. They're having a bit more time trying to get to used to what he's trying to implement. Um, but he's only going to get that time. He's only going to get that opportunity to continue working. I think if he somehow you know, solidifies us, third or fourth would be fantastic. This is, I think it'd be a great achievement. Yes. When you think of the teams around us, we're probably the only team that doesn't have a striker um, or you know, a striker that's going to hit 20 goals this season. So that, that in itself should be seen as pretty decent achievement. But you know, he then has to kick on from there. But yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit more confident about finishing top four than I was a couple of, uh, couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I think Arsenal's kind of dropping form has, has obviously been been pretty uh, pretty nice in that it's just a question of you know, I don't think Man United will continue to win every game um, you know their performances have have been good but I think the Tottenham game obviously showed that on another day they don't win that game and I think that that will continue for the rest of the season but you know, I'm, looking, I'm looking up as a Tottenham and thinking you know without Kane we can probably catch them Interesting. We're two points off now. Yeah, just on a, on a non-Chelsea tangent. Um, obviously, you talked about uh, parallels of the Ferguson team and stuff. I think he has been sort of knocking about Carrington. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, another important uh, person to know is uh, Mike. More than a feeling is uh, yes. he's knocking about. And I don't know if he wrote in his book or something. He seemed to think he was the he was the man that made United tick before. So you know, it might be true. He might be yeah. Mr. Tactics behind um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, but yeah, it's again like you say, it's how they react to a first loss as well. Um, they don't look perfect. Uh, it, it's very much a feel-good factor thing. Um, touch of maybe the sort of Di Matteo stuff. But even you know when we sacked Jose ourselves recently, didn't Goose Hiddink? I know we drew a lot, but didn't he go bloody like twenty games unbeaten or something ridiculous? So he went, he went on a long. And granted, yeah. it wasn't win loads of goals and stuff, but yeah. there's, there's a lot from sacking a sort of toxic Jose what it could do to a club um, yeah. also uh, yeah he had, I, I don't know how I feel about the whole sorry maybe not reaching top four because there was a sort of um, I don't want to regurgitate a lot of the kind of stuff that a lot of these Twitter teenagers are saying but there is the sort of undeniable element of the, a big sort of shift in footballing philosophy um, yeah. that's been implemented into the minds of these players for X amount of years but um, so yeah I, I'm with you I mean I'd love to finish above Spurs as would most Chelsea fans but uh, I think I'm quietly confident as well but just, just, to, just to round up then a, a league um, play table um, position prediction from you and, and maybe do you think we'll get a trophy how do you think it will end this season I think being super positive, being, I, I think we'll finish third. Lovely. And I think we'll win the Europa League. Oh, mate, I'd, I'd love that. Sari's little face with a trophy. Yeah. Attract some new players that he wants. And uh, old Higgins himself, maybe. I know, is, is Higuain, I know, has the rule changed for Europa League and being cup-tied? I think you can you can play one player who's been cup-tied now. Has he played, did he play in Champions League or Europa League? I can't well, remember. I think Milan are in a Europa 
Yeah, I, I'd have to check. I know that it was if you, you know, vice versa. If you bought something in the Champions League and you're in the Europa League, you could play one player. And if you know you're in the Champions League and you bought something in Europa, you could play one of them. But I don't know what it is in the same competition. Okay, well, either way, hopefully it's the positive. Yeah. Cool, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I was sort of uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the Chelsea. Um, do you want to plug anything? Certainly your Twitter to the listeners and stuff, but feel free to plug anything else that you want. Yeah, sure. Uh, Twitter is, is Joe Tweedy. Nothing really to plug at the moment. Um, writing an article, which I, I've been writing for ages, actually, um, which hopefully will be out probably when, let's say, hopefully this weekend. Okay. Apart from that, nothing else to, nothing else to plug. Okay, well, I'll, I'd urge everyone to follow Joe on Twitter because he's got some great opinions on it. On Chelsea, um, hopefully I can get you on again, mate. Because there's a lot of stuff that I'd like to grill you on, maybe about structurally uh, Chelsea club stuff. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Yeah, no worries. It's been a pleasure. As promised, an excellent episode. Thanks again for coming on, Joe. Hopefully I can get him back and we can chat more. Chelsea had a lovely time, and thank you, listener, for joining me again on the Yannick on Chelsea podcast. Um, yeah, like I always say, I really appreciate people tuning in and I do appreciate all the sort of uh, growing listenership and nice messages on Twitter. Hey, follow me on Twitter, at Chelsea Yannick. And um, yeah, guys, if you uh, have friends that support Chelsea, why not tell them about the pod so I can branch out a little bit more and uh, give me a five-star rating on iTunes. I know I always say it, but, you know, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Thanks again, guys. Up the chills, keep the blue flag flying high and carefree wherever you may be, listener. I'll see you next time. <laughs>